Hello and welcome to Undercommon Tastes, a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. This is where we stir the pot and lick the spoon. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined here today with my co-host James Daly. And today we are going to be talking about our construction for our first character for our homebrew showcase. We're going to be discussing the race for the character we're going to be building and the modifications that we're going to be making off of the published content that Wizards of the Coast has out. Specifically, today we're going to be building an orc. Orc, orc. Orc, orc. And frankly, there's a lot. I have a lot of issues with orcs as they're published. For starters, I'm really not a fan of evil races. Just the concept of evil races. Now, I have read recently that Wizards is actually dropping the classification for evil races. They're all just going to be a race now, and I, I read that just a week or two ago, I think. So Right, and that, that, that is... That might be something to further explore. <laughs> that is something that, given the current political and social climate, it's something that has been a long time in the making and has been needed for a long time, and I'm glad that they're finally coming around and doing it. I've never been a fan of of the concept of evil races at all. Yeah, I can get behind that. I mean, when you were starting off and you're in the, the 70s and early 80s and you needed just a quick, easy villain, then yeah, let's throw the evil guy in there and, hey, look, it's a bunch of evil guys. I mean, they were the zombies of the time. Oh, well, here, here's the evil whatever. Life's far more complex than that. So I like the idea of just a race is a race is a race and you are what you do with it. I do like the fact that they're keeping, you know, some races tend to be more chaotic versus lawful. And that makes perfect sense because, yeah, I mean, even that, there's flavors of lawful and chaotic throughout anything. So Right, but... But the thing that I've always noticed is that the evil races, the traditionally evil races, are considered evil because they stand in opposition to the offered player character races that are classified as good. And typically, it seems to be less an issue of good and evil versus the quote-unquote civilized races and the quote-unquote savage races races. So it seems to depend a lot on whether or not you build cities. Yeah, and well, even if you build cities, I mean, for me, sacrificing to anybody but Loth, you're obviously a heretic and evil and should burn at the stake. But yet the book <laughs> would have my character listed as evil, and I have no idea where that comes from. Right, and really, if you look at the situation that drove the drow into the Underdark, there's a lot of moral ambiguity there. Granted. So, I mean, um, really, who's to say what's evil? Evil <laughs> races, and, and they yeah. are not necessarily a thing. Yeah, and a large portion of that, if you look at drow culture, it's the aristocracy, it's the upper echelons of that culture that are engaging in all of this. And the drow, in particular, they're slavers. Yeah. I mean, they enslave just about anyone who isn't drow, and any drow who is unlucky enough not to make their way in the upper tiers of drow society. Yeah, if you don't have that pedigree, you're you're breaking your back. Yeah, and so I have no qualms with viewing the upper levels of drow society as being typically evil, but to brand the entire drow race as evil is whitewashing. It's a very broad brush. Yeah. And then you look at a race like the Dwargar. Why are the Dwargar evil? Because the dwarves that have contact with the surface don't like them. Well, you know, sometimes that threshold's a little low. Yeah, they are dwarves and they don't like a whole lot of anybody, but 
Yeah, it's the concept of an evil race is just problematic for me in general. And so I I can get behind that. And I like to try and get away from that whenever possible. I mean, in my homebrew world, orcs are sort of an Aztec Mayan analog. They had a thriving empire throughout the world until humans showed up. Okay. And then the humans had this thing that the orcs didn't, which was arcane magic. And in a very short period of time, these shoot-first-ask-questions-later humans had pretty successfully toppled all of the seats of imperial power that these orcs had and drove them to become a nomadic race because they would find where they were settled and they would attack them and drive them off into the wilds. Gotcha. So instead of guns, germs, and steel, in this case, we had magic missile. Yeah, pretty much. I like it. That makes a good sense. And that's a really great thing for world building, too, because now you've explained the fall of an empire. You have a good reason why, sure, okay, the orcs aren't evil. They're not necessarily, you know, terrible people. But, yeah, they've got a huge tip on their shoulder now. And you know what? They kind of want some revenge, and maybe they want some of their territory back. So, yeah, now you've created a natural animosity between two cultures without a good evil. It's just here they are. So, I mean, and if you're if you're angry enough and driven enough, then, yeah, you're going to do a bunch of stuff. So, I, I really like that. So, that's a great start to how you're going to have not necessarily an evil race but rather an angry and possibly violent race and that really works and i added into that the animosity between the orcs and the elves is that as these orcs were fleeing the humans they went to the elves being the other major civilization on the continent and they showed up and they're saying let us in they're killing us and they said you guys stay out we don't want to deal with this Gotcha. And so the animosity with the elves is that they were complicit by inaction. Okay. So they didn't offer them... They were too good to help us, so we're going to bring them low too? In a sense. The orcs are, in my world, typically perfectly fine to leave everyone else alone if they're left alone. I would totally be an orc in your world. You probably would be. (laughs) Of course, I also have in my world that half-orcs are sterile because kind of the concept of mules... You know, a horse breeds true, a donkey breeds true, but if you breed them together, the offspring is sterile. So you have sterile hybrids? Yeah. So half-orcs in my world aren't really very much a thing, mainly because humans and orcs don't really intermix at all. Yeah. Because of the generations of racial conflict between the two. But on top of that, because half-orcs cannot have children. Gotcha. Or at least cannot have children biologically all right so i think that's enough on the background for the moment so let's let's go ahead and dive in i think what we're going to do is we're going to start off by reading through what the published stats and abilities for these races are in the content and then we discuss what issues we have with them and how we would go about changing some of these okay so we're going to start with the uh, full orc yeah we're going to start with full orc as it is published in volo's guide to monsters you start off with a plus two to your strength a plus one to your con and a minus two to your intelligence speed 30 feet medium size 60 foot dark vision you get the ability aggressive where you can as a bonus action move up to your speed towards an enemy of your choice that you can see or hear you gain menacing which is you gain proficiency with the intimidation skill powerful build where you count as one size larger when determining capacity for 
carry weight and how much you can push, drag, or lift, and you gain the uh, languages of common and orcish. So the first and most notable issue that I have with the orcs as they're published is the minus two to intelligence. Orcs and kobolds are the only two races that I can remember in 5e where you have a penalty to an attribute at character creation. It was the thing that I liked the least about 3rd edition, because in 3rd edition you got plus 2 to one and minus 2 to another, but I really, really don't like attribute penalties at character creation. So the first thing that I would do is get rid of that minus 2 to intelligence. Most, if not all, of the rest of the races have a plus two to one attribute and a plus one to another. So I would leave this as a plus two strength, plus one con. Okay, that makes sense. You could argue going to a plus two con just for... Where am I going with this? Just to play into that big, beefy, brawny, muscle-bound character. But I think that for balance reasons, keeping it as a plus two, plus one, I think it makes more sense to do a plus two to strength, plus one to con. Now, looking at the stats and the sheets as they were given by, you know, wizards as it was in the book, did orcs really pick up anything extra to balance out that negative two to intellect at all? Or is that just straight, you don't want to be an orc, so we're going to make you not want to be an orc? I think that's going into what orcs have traditionally gotten. Orcs have traditionally gotten a penalty to intelligence. That's just something that has, as far as I can tell, existed. It's existed as long as I've played D&D. Right, but what I'm saying is, what did the orcs get to balance that, or was it always just a deficit they had? Did they get, like, an extra proficiency? Did they get an extra thing? Like, this powerful build where they bump up one class size, that seems a little bit of a balance, but not really. In my opinion, they did not really balance that out. I mean, if it had been a plus two strength, plus two con, minus two intelligence, then I would have considered it a little bit better. But, I mean, what they got was aggressive, which allows them to move as a bonus action as long as they end closer to an enemy right. than they started. They get a bonus proficiency with intimidation, and they get count as one size larger for carry capacity and push-pull drag. And really, in the games I've played, that's almost never really followed too terribly closely. Yeah, pow- That's just way too much. Powerful Build is great if you're doing a whole lot of role-playing and you're getting deep into the minutia of the game. But it's like, how many games have you been in where they actually kept track of how much weight you were carrying? Very, very few. Oh, yeah, it, that's, that almost a, feels like a throwaway. It is a boring accounting job. That's what doing that is. Keeping tabs on your encumbrance is just boring, and it detracts from the gameplay. Yeah. As long as you're not carrying an armory, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Right. You know, it's like the rules for the bag of holding. A bag of holding, according to the rules, has a 500-pound capacity. 500-pound and 64 cubic feet, which is a 4-foot by 4-foot cube. And the way I do it is, as long as it fits through the opening you can put it in a bag of holding. So we're not sticking a whole horse in there. I mean, you can stick a whole horse in there. You just have to chop it up into pieces that'll fit into a two-foot-by-four-foot opening. So no horses, but turduckens are perfectly fine. (laughs) We've got Thanksgiving set. It's a bag of feasting. But yeah, so I don't think that they really gave the orc anything to really balance out that minus two to intelligence. I think they got shortchanged. 
pretty hard. Yeah, let's go ahead and toss that negative two. That's... Yeah, that minus two is going to go out the door. Okay, I'm good with that. So next one down the list, size is fine, medium. They're a little over six foot tall, 230 to 280 pounds. It's well within the parameters of a medium character. I'm still falling well into the orc class, so we're good. (laughs) (laughs) You don't really run into large creatures until they get over about eight, nine feet tall. That's when you start getting to the 10 foot footprint. So they're good with the medium size. They're good with a 30-foot speed. That's perfectly standard. All of your medium-sized player characters, with the exception of dwarves, have 30-foot movement speed. Don't halflings have 20 as well? I think halflings are slightly shorter as well. Halflings are small. Short, stubby legs. Halflings, gnomes, goblins, and kobolds are all classified as small races as opposed to medium. There you go. That makes, yep, that accounts for that then. Which used to mean something other than losing five feet in your movement and not being able to wield heavy weapons. You used to get a plus one to AC for being small. Yeah, I remember that. That's not the case anymore, right? No, not anymore. Yeah. So next thing on the list is uh, dark vision. Which is your absolute favorite. I'm okay with orcs having dark vision because they tend to be a subterranean race in a lot of settings. And they're quite often nocturnal. You think about all of these orcish raids, they all happen at night. Orcs don't attack in broad daylight. They, well, they Yeah, you don't want to be ready. Right. And having them with dark vision plays into that. Them being able to see in the dark plays into this whole nighttime raid, the terror mystique behind the orcish race. Yeah, I like that. And you where you build them up kind of like with your world where you built them kind of like the Aztec or Mayans. I can kind of see the huge temples lit up in flame at night with the night ceremonies and everything going on. And you've got these largest, you know, brutish looking things sitting there yelling and screaming and, and having their chants and having their rights. And I mean, that, that all kind of fits in. Dark Vision fits with these guys really well. I see that. And then the next item is aggressive. I like aggressive. It fits well for martial classes, which the strength-based race for the archetype of orcs is going to lend itself really well to you know the fighter and the barbarian and the paladin and the monk. And having that extra ability to use your bonus action to close the distance really feels right with the orc yeah i can see that because like if i'm going to play an orc i want to be an orc you know and there's a time for diplomacy and sure orcs can do some diplomacy i mean they're not getting a proficiency with persuade or anything like that but when it comes time and diplomacy's failed i want to be just right there i want to be a table flipping chair smashing orc i want to (laughs) be i want to be right up in the person's face i'm going full orc so yeah this feels good this feels like the character i'd want to play yeah so we're going to leave aggressive alone Next on the list is menacing. You are trained in the intimidation skill. I'm not real fond of this the way that it's created. Mainly because, in general, your orc is not going to have a high charisma. Because, with the exception of the paladin, none of the classes that are really good for orcs are charisma-based. You don't get any bonus to your charisma. Charisma is often a dump stat for these martial classes, so I don't really feel like giving you proficiency with a charisma-based skill as a racial feature is enough. Honestly, I kind of like it, and it might not be enough, but it does give you, like I said, gives you that little bit of a diplomacy option, because your charisma is going to be your dumb stat, and so, so here's and yeah, you're big and you're aggressive, so you are going to have that extra push to carry your threats a little heavier. 
So here's what I would propose as a change for this. You still get a bonus to your intimidation, but your bonus becomes you can use your strength score instead of your charisma score on intimidation checks because it is your physique that makes you intimidating. I can follow that. I'm wondering, you know, if you wind up with a orc with a 20 strength, so you got your plus five and you got your plus three, so you're rolling a, a plus eight for your intimidation checks. I don't know if that'd be a little too strong or not. You're only going to get that if you take intimidation as one of your skills. If you don't take proficiency in intimidation, then you only get the plus five from your strength if you have 20 strength. You have, so you wouldn't give the... Uh, I wouldn't... Okay, I, I thought you no, were saying you were automatically giving the proficiency in intimidation. No, no, no. Which means you'd automatically be one of your skills. I'm saying instead of giving automatic proficiency in intimidation, let them use their strength score on intimidation checks. Okay, I like that. That fits better, yeah. Because, because most of your orcs are going to have at least a 14 or 15 generally in their strength score anyway. Plus you have that plus two. So yeah, that's going to round out to what your normal proficiency check particularly in your lower and middle levels are going to be anyway so that like i said that feels like a good fit and that way if you take your proficiency in intimidation and you get to 20 strength so you get a plus five on your strength mod once you hit those higher levels you know level 17 18 19 20 where you get a plus six proficiency bonus you're getting a plus 11 and by that point you should be the scariest person that they've ever encountered yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I mean, I'm right behind you on that. That makes a lot of sense. So that is the modification that I would suggest that I think we should do for changing menacing to make it fit a little bit better with the race. I'm behind you on this one. Yeah. The next one, powerful build. We already talked about this. Powerful. That really feels like a throwaway. It, I mean, really, it's... It is such a lackluster ability. Just the whole one class size bigger for push-lift, was it push lift drag yeah push lift drag and carrying capacity and carrying capacity it's great if you are in a game where you're actually keeping tabs on how much you're carrying but as we mentioned i don't think either of us have ever been in a game where we've actually kept track of that you know where i could see this working really well though and i'm not quite sure how to make it work you got a powerful build, you sit there, and you're just going to bear hug somebody. I don't know if the being one size larger would give you more to a grapple check, or if we need to add a bonus to that, but to me, that makes sense. You're just big, you're beefy, and you're going to do some Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, and you're just going to be locking on somebody. And that, to me, makes sense, and I could kind of see that happening in a hand-to-hand type thing, or if you're wrestling that weird tentacle monster, then you're going to be a little bit more capable of that. I think that adding in a, you get advantage on maintaining a grapple. Once you've already grappled somebody, then you get the advantage to hang on to them. I'd even give advantage on breaking a grapple as well because you have that powerful build. You have that natural body. Yeah, that would work too. I wouldn't let it go towards the initial grappling because there's more to initiating a grapple or to thwarting initiating a grapple than just brute strength. There's a technique to that. So I don't think that it would really work with balancing for giving you any benefits to initiating a grapple or to prevent someone from initiating a grapple. But once they had a hold of you or once you had a hold of them, I think it would give you an advantage. It would skew in your favor in either extending or breaking out of a grapple. And I'm good with that. Now, there's also another thing that comes after a grapple. I believe it's uh, restrain, if I'm correct, where you'd actually pin a person. Like, grappling them is just grabbing them, but the restraints actually where you'd actually pin them to the ground. And I could see advantage for that, again, with your powerful bolt, because that does rely more on just pure brute strength. I mean, while there is obviously technique involved, as any wrestler would tell you, that strength goes a long way. 
just trying to remember. I can't remember the exact rules for grappling and restraining in 5e. How to restrain a creature in 5e following a successful grapple. See here, the target of your the- grapple must be no more than one size larger than you and must be within your reach. So I would actually say that powerful build would let you grapple one size bigger. Okay. Because, I mean, if it's letting you be one size bigger for terms of carry capacity, do we want to... We could add it in. We could add that in, yeah. Here we go. A strength creature's speed becomes zero. It cannot benefit from any bonus to its speed. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. The creature's attack rolls have disadvantage, and the creature has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. Got to figure out how to how to trigger restrain. I think that's mostly spells. I don't think that you can go from grapple to restrain just by Holding default. Down. I, I think that you, okay. you're just maintaining a grapple. That was something that existed in third edition 3.5, but I think they changed that in fifth edition. On D&D Beyond, it says restrained effect is held completely by mobilizing a cre- or greater force, or held in a way the movement is totally restricted with web affected. It's also held in such a way that it hinders their ability to act or defend. The PHP has a nice little picture to show conditioned restraint shows a man trapped in a web. So yeah, that's a magical effect. Where does grapple become restrain? Magical items, it's very clear. Yeah, so apparently restraint is going to be a, a magical effect. Yeah, typically it is. You tie someone up with a rope, that would be restraint. The restraint, right, you okay. Know, anything. I thought I had read somewhere where one led to, like, one attack led to the other. Like, you had grappled first and then you got a full restraint, but it could have, I could have been reading a homebrew thing at that point. You used to be able to do that in 3rd edition. Okay. That's one of those things where the editions start to bleed together. Yeah, and I played mostly 3rd edition and came in fairly late to the party with 5th. Yeah, so did I. So we're going to keep advantage on maintaining a grapple, advantage on breaking a grapple, and then can grapple one size larger than you? Yes. Okay, that works. And so one thing that I would suggest adding to the orc is the relentless ability from the half-orc. Because in the player's handbook, it doesn't explicitly say it, but is implied that they're drawing this relentless ability where if they're dropped to zero hit points and not killed outright, the first time it happens, they get dropped to one hit point instead. I like that. But it's implied that they're drawing that from their orcish heritage, but the orc doesn't have anything like that. That makes zero sense. It makes absolutely no sense, which is why I would suggest adding relentless to the orc and then modifying it on the half-orc to be a little less powerful. I could see that, and that's where I think we had talked about before the uh, the Orcus Ancestry, which I, I think is an absolutely wonderful flavor thing to add in. And we'll get to that once we get down to the half-orc. And then also, half-orcs get the savage attacks, which whenever they score a crit, they can add one additional damage die to their damage. The orcs don't really have anything that modifies the amount of damage that they deal. Well, I think that's just due to the saltiness they get from the human side. I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) Yeah, but whenever you look at what they're drawing from, all of this primal savagery that they're getting is supposed to be coming from their orcish side. All of the brutish violence is supposed to be coming from their orcish side, and the orcs don't really have a whole lot going in their race to indicate where it's coming from. I see that. I think that just speaks levels onto that 
not so much the humans don't have it it's just covered up a little bit more and maybe maybe that half orc brings that a little bit more to the surface so yeah you get that little extra saltiness you get that little extra ferocity because i mean we've met some pretty salty grizzly grumpy people and you, you can tell that's maybe that bridge between human and orc isn't too terribly far but what i would suggest is adding a racial ability where attacks with one-handed weapons deal one point more damage Attacks with two-handed weapons deal two points more damage on a successful attack. On any orc. On any orc. I want to say yes, but then that starts feeling like we're starting to give them quite a bit off of... Now, again, we started the episode saying that the orcs were definitely given the short end of the stick. Basically, from this, we've given them two extra intel. We've tinkered with some stuff. We've given them a little bit more useful with their powerful build. Everything else we've pretty much kept as it was. An extra two damage with a two-handed attack on any attack. Because when you start getting to, like, an orc fighter that has sweep attack and you get, you know, two or three attacks per turn plus a bonus attack, I mean, you're starting to throw a lot of extra dice in there. It sounds good. I'm just afraid it'll be a little, a little much. Well, if you also compare the damage output of a fighter to the damage output of a wizard. Once you get to that later point in game, you're not going to push out as much damage as a fighter as you are as a wizard. But your wizard's still mostly made of paper. True. So, and that's always been, the wizard's a glass cannon. I mean, yeah, you can throw dice all day, but if someone sneezes at you, you're dead. So I would do a plus one to damage with a proficient weapon. I would call it that. If you had weapon proficiency, you get a plus one damage to a proficient weapon because we're also giving them relentless attack or relentless, relentless. relentless endurance. So, I mean, relentless and a plus one with a proficient weapon, I think, fits well versus a plus one or plus two with any weapon. Because, I mean, if your orc picks up a frying pan, now he's getting a plus one attack, really? I mean, who's proficient in a frying pan? They're not getting a plus one on their attack roll. They're getting a plus one on their, on their plus damage one on their roll. Damn. Gotcha. They're not any better at hitting things, they just hit things harder. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Like I said, it still sounds a little much, but it definitely it falls in line. Because again, this is a big, beefy character. You're going to be up in the face. You've got that aggressive thing. You've got that powerful build. It all does fit in together. Like I said, I'm just worried. It fits I'm thematically. It fits perfectly thematically. I'm just afraid, like I said, that'll be a little too much. But at that point, it could be up to a DM to kind of realize and draw things back. But yeah, I, like I said, I, I think it could fit. I would have reservations, but I think it could work. And personally, I'm okay with doing this because Powerful Build is such a niche bonus. It's based around carrying things, moving things, and grappling. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so... And unless you're building a monk wrestler... I loved my luchador. <laughs> you, you you did have a pretty fun dwarf luchador, but unless you're building a character that is built around grappling, you're really not going to be using that a whole lot. That's fair. So just because of the niche aspect of that particular racial ability, I'm okay with adding in the extra damage. And I agree with you that doing it as plus one damage on any weapon attack with a proficient melee weapon. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. So like I said, when you start hitting those plus twos, like I said, those plus twos add up real fast. Yeah, so I'm okay with that. Okay. Okay, so, and that pretty much brings us to the end of the orc. Well, languages. You well, can speak common and orcish, imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> everyone gets common. Right. Orcs get orc, I'm okay with this. 
All right, so we have an orc. We have an orc. All right, so we're going to go ahead and go into half-orcs as long as we're on the topic of orcs. The half-orcs are actually remarkably better than orcs in 5e. I think largely orcs were kind of a second thought. Orcs are supposed to be your baddie that you're supposed to throw up there and kind of, they're like a goblin or a kobold even. And yes, while they are now a monstrous race, you can play. But when the book first came out, oh, we need we need some beefy monsters. Well, here's an orc, and, and like I talked about with the intel, they're going to be kind of dumb and strong, and they're just going to be basically a punching dummy for you. But when you want to play them as a character, it makes it harder. So the half-orc has always been one of those, I'm going to roll the half-orc barbarian, I'm going to roll the half-orc fighter. So I think they definitely got better consideration because they were more expected to be played. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and dive in, read through the half-orc traits so we get a baseline on what we're talking about. Ability score increase, you start with a plus two strength, plus one con. Size medium, speed 30 feet, both of those are pretty standard. Dark vision 60 feet, they also get the menacing ability, so they are proficient with intimidation. They get relentless endurance, they get savage attacks, so when they score crit, they get to add one additional weapon damage die, and they also get common in orc as their languages i kind of think that you know if you have a half orc that knows the orcish language you should know an orcish lullaby because that's really where you're going to know your orcish language from is either mom or dad sang it to you in the crib and that's what you remember of the language that's just kind of a flavor thing it's not necessarily a role play thing but i think if i was rolling an orc that would be where i knew my orc language was from because you know mama and maybe grandma oma sat there and sung me some orc lullabies about smashing enemies in the head well Here's the better question. Why are you assuming that this half-orc is being raised among humans? Good point. I mean, in my world, this half-orc would be raised among orcs, and so they would have a much stronger grasp of orcish, possibly even than common. That is a perfectly fair point. Uh, And again, that comes into roleplay thing, and that is an assumption I made that I shouldn't have. So yeah, again, that is a very strong and fair point. So go ahead and get started here. The ability score increase, strength plus two, con plus one. That's the same that we're giving the orcs now that we've gotten rid of their intelligence penalty. And I'd almost be willing to flip that. Almost, yeah. There was an article okay. that I found and that I sent to James and he read through it and he was of a similar mind to me. It's an article by Ash Armstrong and once this podcast goes out, I'll post a link to it suggesting that our half-orcs should be more along the lines of half-elves trying to draw a little bit more from the human side because if you go through the aspects here you're basically just getting an orc and that kind of kills the flavor for things and like i said i think the half orc was intended to be more the orcish player than a full orc but for me like i said flipping the constitution and the strength to me makes sense i know like in biology there's something called hybrid vigor where the strongest parts tend to be more presented and humans yeah we're frail but we hang around a bit we can take a bit of a beating we're not necessarily strong but as a human i mean we we're not dwarven by any stretch we're not going to be get that plus two to con but we can hang around fairly well so i think if you mixed a human and an orc and you're just going for a plain human orc i think that constitution where they were just hardy would make more sense and not necessarily have the muscle mass that a full orc would have beyond that i would do one one and then maybe take the human feet where you could add a feet so you'd go one one and a feet perhaps i would say going more off of how half elves are half elves get a two in charisma and they get two plus ones that they can assign wherever so i'm thinking doing this going off of your suggestions a two 
constitution and two ones to put where they want. Now, could they put two in the same score so they could... No, it would be two other abilities get a plus one. Okay, yeah, that would make sense, because if you went two and two, like, oh, I'm going to just put them both in strength anyway, then that would be a bit beefy, I think. But yeah, two, one, and one. Then you could throw it in strength and dex, or you can throw it in strength and wisdom if you're going for, like, a cleric, or strength and charisma if you're going for, say, a hexblade warlock or a paladin. Yeah, I like that. Especially that wisdom score, because if you have, like, a priest of Grimash or something like that, you kind of want to know what's going on around you. Yeah, I like that. That feels really good to me, so... And that's a good blend of the two classes where you've got, yeah, you're beefy, you've got that constitution, but you're not overpowered, really, in any other sense. Okay, so... I think that does pretty good on the ability scores. Size, medium, that's a given. Speed, 30 feet, that's a given. They're an average-sized humanoid race. They're not going to have a smaller movement speed. They don't have anything to suggest putting a larger movement speed on them. Next up is going to be dark vision. James alluded to this a little bit earlier. I have a problem with dark vision in 5e. My problem with dark vision in 5e is that they just hand it out like candy. It's like super sizing your meal or like free shipping with your online order everybody gets dark vision you don't even have to want dark vision and oh look there's dark vision in the box awesome Right. I think of the standard races in the Player's Handbook when it was published, I think it's just humans, halflings, and dragonborn that don't have dark vision. Everything else has dark vision. And I look at it, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in a lot of cases. It doesn't make sense to me that tieflings have dark vision, or that elves have dark vision. I could see a tiefling having dark vision. If you've got some demonic blood, and you know your ancestors are from the fiery depths of below. Fiery depths. Fiery depths, James. Fire is illumination. They don't need dark vision if it's fiery depths. Okay, I'll grant you that. Fine, fine, fine. So I think that the half-orcs should still have dark vision, but I think that it should be a lesser form of dark vision. I think we should... So half dark vision? Dark vision 40 feet. I was actually just going to take everything and cut it straight in half, so I was actually going to cut it down to 30 feet. Yeah, 30 feet would be good. I would not argue 30 feet, so yeah. Either that or keep everything at dim light so they can see 60 feet at dim light. And if they're in dim light, they can't see anything brighter than dim light. That's the whole thing with dark vision. If you're in dim light, you see it as a bright light. There's still no negatives. But if everything was just at a dim light, so maybe like you're a dog at night, you don't have your color blind in the dark type thing. I, I don't know. Going back to third edition, they had a thing called low light vision where you could see dim light as bright light. Right here in dark vision where it reads, it says you can see in dim light within 60 feet as if you were in bright light and in darkness as if it were dim light. So you could either cut your dark vision so you could see dim light as bright light to 30 feet or we could just nullify that and you could see in darkness as if it were dim light done up to 60 feet i think that being able to see in darkness is dark vision and that being able to see in dim light is low light vision and so i was just going by what the text was right well i'm just saying if we were to bring low light vision back yeah i'm good with low light vision so what we would do is we would leave the half of dark vision where they don't take a penalty for being in dim light but they lose the ability to see in darkness. So darkness is still an issue for them. They don't get to see darkness as low light. Okay, yes, we're just bringing an old throwback from 3rd edition. 3rd edition was a great edition. There was a lot of really good things to it. If you play some other games, they borrowed a lot. As in borrowed, I mean they packed up their bags and packed it in there with it, Uh, 3rd edition 3.5. So yeah, I'm good with low light vision. Well, I mean, if you look at Pathfinder, Pathfinder is basically D&D version 3.6. 
Well, I was trying not to use proprietary names. I got no problem with calling them out. Okay, yeah. So yeah, basically <laughs> but, Pathfinder left and took the Wizard's Ball with them. Pathfinder came about because they were unhappy with 4th edition. Yeah, 4th edition was a wonky edition. We'll go ahead and call that one out. We'll talk about that one in a little more detail later. Because there were a lot of things that they added in 4th edition that I really liked. And then there were a lot of things in 4th edition that just made it clunky and hard to play. So, getting back on topic, do we want to do dark vision 30 feet or do we want to do low light vision? Low light vision? I think so, yeah. I think low light vision... Low light vision feels more of a proper genetic drift, I would say. And I have a feeling that we're going to get a lot more low light vision as we work on stuff. I think a lot of races dark vision is going to get demoted to low light vision with us working on stuff because of my issues that I have with dark vision as it's used in 5e. If you absolutely love dark vision and you hate our idea about dim vision or getting rid of, you can email Ian. <laughs> no. <laughs> Under common so, taste yeah. at gmail.com. And as we get into this thing, a lot of this will be open for discussion. That's kind of what this whole idea is. Uh, it's a giant brainstorming session between Ian and I, and then eventually, hopefully with, with our listeners too. And maybe you have a great reason why dark vision should stay. I'm not seeing it personally. I like the idea of dim vision. Like I said, it feels like proper genetic to me trying to throw some reality in our fantasy world here let's not mix scandalous but yeah i know it's horrible (laughs) okay so moving along menacing i think we need to give menacing the same treatment for half orcs that we gave it for orcs where instead of them getting an automatic proficiency in intimidation they get to use their strength modifier on intimidation checks yeah i like that again that feels correct yeah i mean that falls in line with everything i've got no complaints on that one at all Relentless Endurance, we ended up giving this one two orcs as is. And it's where when you're dropped to zero hit points and not killed outright, the first time it happens, you get dropped to one hit point instead. And I think that we need to have a lower power variant on this for the half orc. we're going to water this one down a time. And this is going back to the Ash Armstrong article. One of the suggestions that he did It was called Orcish Ancestry, and James mentioned this a little bit earlier. When reduced to zero hit points and not killed outright, you may use your reaction to make a melee attack with advantage before falling unconscious. You can't use this feature again until you finish your short rest. And I absolutely love that for so many reasons. One, it is a bit watered down from the Relentless Endurance, so it does feel like a proper drift from your actual full orc. If you've got any kind of orc, I mean, you may not be a barbarian, you not, might not be in full and raid, but that's just that you hit me, I'm making sure I'm getting one last swing before I go down. That feels very orcish to me or orc-like. Three, that would be the absolute kind of character I would play. I play a lot of melee or skirmish. I like debuffing characters. So if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. And so that feels, that is like the perfect little thing to add into my character for me at least because you know what you might knock me out but i'm getting one last good swing on you before i'm dropping so i absolutely love love that ability and it just it fits really well with the rest of the race as we're putting it together next is savage attacks when you score a critical hit you can roll one of the weapons damage die one additional time and add it to the critical hit i don't know as if this really works off of the bonus damage that we gave for melee attacks to the orc. I don't know. I kind of like it. I like it. I think they did a good job in creating it. I think they really hit the nail on the head with this particular ability. And so I'm hesitant to change it. 
I don't want to change at all. There was an old line of stories I read, and for the life of me, I can't remember them, but I always talked about doing something and then the blood of their ancestors would sing in their body. You know, they'd just have that moment of channeling all of the best of everything they have. And I could see that where you're getting that critical hit and you're going in. If you've ever played Darkest Dungeon, which is another game, you have your sanity meter and there are points where when you ran out of sanity or if you hit a certain point of stress, sometimes your character would wind up with a negative trait that would be bad, but sometimes they became heroic. And that's kind of how a critical in D&D feels me. You get that heroic swing where everything just lines up perfectly. And at that point, you know what? You channel your ancestors or you channel all of your primal strength or you channel the arcane energies or whatever you got, but everything lines up, the planets align and you're just clocking them. And I absolutely love that. And so one extra die isn't stupid huge. I mean, it's not like you're throwing a whole brick of D6s. As frequently as you get a critical, I mean, one in 20, so it's a 5% chance off of any roll without any kind of added stats or bonuses to it. I really like that. I think that needs to stay, just because it feels good to me. Yeah, I like it. I think we're in agreement on this one, that we're going to leave this one alone. And the reasoning that you're giving for it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, so I'm good with that. Languages, again, depends on who's raising who, but obviously you're going to know some workers. You're obviously going to know common, unless for whatever reason you grew up completely in the Outlands, then maybe common would be something you'd have to struggle with. But yeah, common makes sense. Everybody knows common. I think we should actually give them a third language of their choice. You think so? Common, Orcish, and a language of their choice. Now, how many races get three languages, though? Is that a fairly common thing? I mean, I have to go through and start counting now. Because um, Orcs only get the two. Half-elves get three. I think half-elves get three. Yeah, they get one of their choice. And uh, that would know, be going back to... Keeping them more half-elf. Keeping them more half-elf. Half-elves tend to be more in and out of cities. They tend to be better traders. Though, unless you maybe have a merchant thing with orcs, which would make sense, or if they're refugees, yeah, I could I could see a third language of some sort. Something like Gnomish, or one of the less common humanoid races. I could see that. Now, going by the text in 5e, and I'm going to orate this directly, so again, if you turn to your holy books, and the page uh, looks like 41 here, you can speak and read and write common orc. Orc is a harsh grading language with hard consonants, so it sounds very German, I guess. It has no script of its own, but is written in the Dwarvish script. So if you are fluent and you know Orcish, then maybe we should just go ahead and throw Dwarven in there, because you already know the Dwarvish script. Yeah, but that would be like saying, I can recognize the Latin alphabet, so I'm fluent in French. Good point. Good point. Fair enough. Just because um, it uses that alphabet doesn't mean anything. Whenever you're talking about a Germanic language versus a Romance language, there's certain letters that are pronounced completely differently. Also correct. So Ian's got me on linguistics on this one. So, so I, I will. I for will for once. <laughs> for once. <laughs> I think that with their dual racial heritage here, I think giving them an extra language that they can pick up yeah, by their choice like based on what they feel is appropriate for their backstory, I think that really fits pretty well. That does fit really well. So they're going to be no, getting no. orcish from one parent, they're going to be getting common from another parent, and then they get whatever societal language they happen to pick up. Okay, that's fair. Now, this becomes a world-building question that has always been a factor, particularly with half-elves and sometimes with half-orcs, too. And again, we could leave this to a world-building episode, but traditionally in D&D and D&D worlds and RPG worlds, the half... I don't want to say half-braids, because that, that sounds really, really bad, but the mixed lines tend to be frowned upon in society. Is that something we want to make a definite, or do we want to leave that to world-building up? The exception is half-elves. 
Uh, half elves tend to be frowned upon, particularly by full elves. Humans. Yes, but but full elves are the ones that don't really like half elves. But everyone else really likes half elves, which is why they get a plus two charisma bonus. If you read into the 5e Player's Handbook description of half-elves, it talks about them being natural diplomats because people like them. Okay, so would we have the opposite for orcs, or are we going to just keep that as that is? I don't like putting that label on races. I don't like stamping races as, this race of people is liked because of this, this race of people is disliked because of this. I think that's going to vary from world to world, from table to table. Yeah, and that's fair. And honestly, in today's climate, that's probably something that will, if not slowly, quickly fade out of the text. And so that makes sense, too. And like I said, so I guess we'd leave that to a world building thing. But I do know traditionally that had been a consideration with a lot of your mixed lines in previous D&D module. I think that's just about it. So just to recap... We're going to con plus two and two abilities plus one. We're going to low light vision 60 feet. We're changing menacing to match what we gave the orc. We are leaving savage attacks alone. And we are replacing relentless endurance with, I think in the Ash Armstrong article, he called it orcish heritage. Um, Or orcish ancestry. Orcish ancestry. I was calling it death throws. That's a great name for it. But we, we can workshop that one. So Um, instead of not dropping when you hit zero, getting a free attack when you hit zero. Free attack with advantage. With advantage, yes. And so what we're going to do is if you want to try to use some of these on your own, like I said, we do hopefully plan to workshop these. But if you want to like, hey, this is a great idea. I want to try it out. I want to build a character with it. We plan to write all these down. We'll have them up so you guys can look at them eventually. Check out our Instagram. Check out our Twitter. Um, I think eventually we're going to build a Facebook page for this as well. So you can check that out. And that way you can kind of see anything we change, we'll have a list for you so you know what we're talking about and what we're tinkering with. Absolutely. All right, so I think that wraps us up for today. That does wrap us up for today. And next time we are planning on talking about our class, which I think James and I have discussed, and I think we're going to make this one a fighter. Yeah, this is probably going to be a fighter for us. I think our goal we were talking about is we're looking at the free rules edition. It gives you four characters you could work with. So if you didn't buy a player's handbook and you're just going out and you picked up the free rules edition of the book, you get your four. So we're going to try to do a homebrew character for each of those so that you could plop a tabletop down, throw down a mat, grab some dice, and just kind of roll with it and see where we go. So again, our first character looks to be a orc or half-orc, and I don't know which we decided to do. But there will definitely be a fighter of one of those flavors rolling out. And going off of the free rules, I think we are going to make this particular orc fighter a champion. Okay, so we are going full orc with this fighter? Orc or half orc. We'll figure that out off stream. We are making this a champion fighter. Well, we can look at that and maybe, like I said, as we discussed, look, champion sounds decent. I know there's some other options too, and we'll get to talk about those different classes. We'll see how we go. Do we want to try to build or add another adaptation to the fighter as well? Not at this point. We'll do that with some later characters. There are a couple of little things about the champion fighter that I would like to change. Because the champion, compared to the other two in the player's handbook, the Battlemaster and the Eldritch Knight, seems a little underwhelming. And there are a couple of little things that I think we could tweak to bring it more in line with the other two, make it a little more fun to play. Okay, so yeah, let's rock that. I don't know when you want to rock that one. I can start going over it. I haven't looked at champion too terribly, terribly much. We'll figure it out. Oh yeah, totally. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. 
If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Under Common Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for joining us and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.